0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen. But it's not just me, actually, because once again, I get to welcome back my good buddy, Curtis Hughes. And once again, he joins me, folks. Curtis, welcome back, buddy. Good to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me, Max. Great to be here. We have an awesome guest for everyone today. So without further ado, let's get rocking and rolling. We
0: do have a great guest, actually. She, she she is definitely a prolific writer. I don't think I use that word too lightly here. She has just released her newest book, Maribel's Shadow, her fourth fiction book, but many nonfiction books, too. Author Susanna Marin joins me. Susanna, welcome to the show. It is great to have you here.
2: So glad to be here, guys. Thank
0: you. You're very welcome. All right. Why don't we start? Could you just take us on a quick walk as to Maribel's Shadow and what it is all
2: about? So Maribel's Shadow, <clears throat> excuse me, has been with me for a very long time. It is the story of an adult mother, well, a mother rather, of adult daughters. And there are three of them. There's Maribel, there's Caroline, and there's Raleigh. And they have... um Achieved status in a very beautiful, rarefied, privileged town, and really Barrier Island of Palm Beach. But their secrets are left behind in the Panhandle, where actually they were, these girls were raised. And so it's a suspense story. Within the first fifteen pages, we know that Samuel Maribel's dashing, handsome husband dies suddenly. And once he dies, everything ups, is up for grabs because we have no idea who Samuel really was. And then a theme that really resonates for me, and who are these women in terms of Samuel?
0: I really want to talk about the notion of secrets because looking at your at your other uh, fiction books, Between the Tides, A Palm Beach Wife, and A Palm Beach Scandal, Secrets seem to be a pretty central theme of these other books. I'm sort of curious why that is, why secrets play such an important role.
2: I'm really intrigued by the faces women wear. Women of all ages, different backgrounds, really a disparate group of women in our culture. And historically, the faces we wear versus how we truly feel in a patriarchal culture in real time. In my with my real name, which we were talking about before we started the podcast, Susan Shapiro Barish, I have written 13 nonfiction women's issue books and I've taught gender studies at Marymount Manhattan College for over 20 years in the writing department, but gender was always my topic. And so I'm really looking in my nonfiction and how women truly feel as wives and mothers and single women and mother's law and daughter's law and friends and rivals and foes and the role of wife is endlessly intriguing to me. So, you know, what is the risk? What is the reward? And so I take my research for those titles and I really put it into my novels. So this is a book about secrets, Max, because... I did a whole study in 2008 called Little White Lies, Deep Dark Secrets, The Truth About Why Women Lie. And I have to tell you, the lie is the behavior, but the secret is the cause.
0: Ooh, okay, all right. I want to talk a little bit about the faces women wear. Um, what are these faces and how have they changed over the years?
2: Well, you know, the fem- the trajectory of the female Life for many years, really until the second wave of feminism and the opening of the workplace for women, was really that you were born to be a good daughter who became a good wife, a good mother, and if you were lucky, a good grandmother. And anything else was secondary, and this good girl pleaser expectation really prevailed. And that isn't really how women feel. And in the aggregate, I've interviewed thousands of women for you know hundreds per a few hundred per book and kept these studies going and it's just not what really happens and yet that's the expectation so how do women navigate a path if these are the expectations and the pressures placed upon them however they can Mm. and so Again, even though the Barrows family, you know, Maribel, her sisters, her mother, even though this family has made money and money in a capitalistic society is the currency, um, they've had to do a lot to get there and they are survivors. And now they're really being put to the test because we don't know what happened to Samuel or why, but it really reflects on them.
0: As you mentioned a little while ago, your career includes teaching gender studies and guest teaching creative uh, nonfiction. So you have a very lengthy background in both subjects. How have these kind of factored into your writing?
2: The idea of writing a nonfiction book is so different from writing a novel. And with nonfiction, you know, for instance, my book on mother's law and daughter's law. So here I am a while ago, a really young bride, and I go to the bookstore because I really need a manual on how to get through this mother-in-law. And um, and there is none. And it was the late, great Toni Morrison, and I paraphrase, who said something like, if you need a book and you don't see it, you should write it. And that's by the time I had a third child, I knew that was true for me. And so I did this whole study on mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law. But I had a hunch. And then I'm a researcher by nature. so. I started by thinking, wow, you know, the mother-in-law is looking for this and the daughter-in-law is looking for that. And why is it that it doesn't always work out? And what happens when it does work out? And what's the game changer? When your children are born, when your husband finally sticks up for you, when your mother-in-law shows you a side of herself that is appealing or not appealing, you know, what clicks that changes it? So, But I had an idea. So I did all the research. I interviewed several hundred women of all different ages, race, religion, ethnicity, level of education, social strata from small town cities, you know, suburbs, all across the country. Tried to hit every state for every book. It's hard, but I tried. And what did I learn? That these are emotional issues for women. If you don't like your mother-in-law and your husband doesn't stick up for you in this triangle, Really doesn't matter if you went to Harvard and earned an MBA or if you barely got through junior college or high school. If your daughter's difficult, because I did a whole study and that is actually in a way circling back to Maribel Shadow. I did a study called You're Grounded Forever, but first let's go shopping. And I interviewed mothers who had daughters three years old all the way to over 30. So, what do we do for our daughters that we don't do for a son? What if we really prefer one daughter to another, or we identify with the daughter who exceeds our dreams. She's like a rock star and you were a wallflower or your daughter reminds you so much of you that you just favor her. So in Maribel's shadow, I definitely look at that study and Lucinda, the mother, definitely, she definitely plays one daughter against the other when the chips are down in this novel and that is something i learned um in interviewing this diverse group of women as mothers and daughters hmm.
0: well you know what let's segue now to the characters because obviously a very central component of the book
1: oh uh, yeah i was tell us about maribel walker
2: so maribel walker is in her late 30s so she remembers and experienced for the longest life in a fictive town, I named it Kesgrave in the Panhandle, which who knows a real part of Florida, in the Florida Panhandle. And her mother had her very young, like at 19. So, you know, her mother's only in her late fifties with these three daughters. And Maribel has always really done the right thing. It has been important to her to pleased her mother and father. Her father died playing cards at a fancy club in Palm Beach. And when we think of life before Palm Beach, we know that even that was an achievement sitting at a fancy card table. So anyway, Maribel's married to Samuel. She adores him, but she doesn't trust him. He's actually from the Panhandle too. And um, as Lucinda and Reed, her husband, succeeded with the family business they brought their older two daughters boyfriends along so they end up marrying these daughters and maribel really wants to confront her husband on the very first page of the book and i don't do this often but would you mind if i just read the opening sentence
0: go for it please go go right ahead
2: okay max um because i've been on a book tour and some of the People who are interviewing me read it. So now I want to read it to you and see what you think. Although I know you've read it. So this is chapter one. It's in Maribel's voice because there are three three alternating narrators. It's the three sisters. When is the right time to tell your husband you know he's a cheater? Over breakfast? When he comes home from a business dinner? Or he pretends to work overtime? These past few months, I wake in the middle of each night chilled, or feverishly hot, wondering this. So we know from the beginning that whatever Maribel feels about Samuel, there's not a lot of trust. And they don't have children. And that's important for me to convey too. Because I've interviewed so many women who, I know the the prescription, the societal prescription is, you must marry and have children to be complete. but. I've interviewed a lot of women who don't feel that way and they're fine. And Maribel, she longs for many things, but she doesn't long for a child in this book. And her other sisters have children. So I wanted to make that distinctive that each of us has our own journey as a female, despite what we are told we are meant to do, to be complete. So Maribel Walker, Maribel Barrows Walker, is someone who now has a plum job at the Palm Beach Confidential, at Palm Beach Confidential, which is a glossy magazine. You see it in every lobby and dentist's office and chic store on Worth Avenue and Palm Beach and Lake Worth and West Palm Beach. And she really takes great pride in it. But within the first few pages, as I think I mentioned, Samuel's dead. And Maribel, just like her sisters, but with more at stake, has to understand who he was.
0: You know, I want to ask about setting this in Florida. Why there, of all places? How does that kind of influence the story?
2: Well, this is the third in the Palm Beach novels series, but they're they're not sequels. A Palm Beach Wife and a Palm Beach Scandal and now Maribel's Shadow actually stand on their own. You could pick up any book and you would not need to read the others. This was originally called A Palm Beach Shadow, but it was so much Maribel's story that my publisher and I and my agent, we all had a Zoom and decided to call it Maribel's Shadow. And it also has a very different kind of book jacket than the others had. So, you know, it's much more suspenseful. And and so, you know, that really mattered to me in terms of place. Suspense, sure, but also Palm Beach. Palm Beach is a place of privilege in a society where rarefied, privileged places give off a very distinctive message. You have arrived. You are here. You drink the Kool-Aid. The culture is its own, it has a life of its own. Judgments are very harsh for women of all ages, everywhere. But in a place that's fancy, women are almost harder on one another, and people judge families as if they're entitled. And I really wanted the women in all three of my Palm Beach novels to be put to the test. Because we're always defending, we lie about. you know, circle back. Before this happened, with Samuel, the family had enough secrets and lies. Now there's the really secrets, you know, the really secret secret. But Palm Beach, hard to be accepted. And Lucinda worked so hard. Why does she work so hard? Because reinvention is so meaningful for certain women. And in Palm Beach, there's a lot of that. So another aspect of Palm Beach that really intrigues me is my parents were residents there for like since like the day I left, you know, for college. They couldn't wait and they loved it there and they'd come upon it. You know, it's not like they deliberately chose Palm Beach, but they had friends there and they got there. And my mother was from Brooklyn long before it was cool and, you know, not from a fancy family. She never seen anything like it. So she loved it. But here's what intrigued me about Palm Beach. I've been there since I was a little kid. Every age my mother was, every age I was, I walked on Worth Avenue, which is like the, you know, Rodeo Drive or the Fifth Avenue or Madison Avenue of Palm Beach. And all of the women of all different ages seemed so certain of themselves. They were very coiffed and dressed and studied and bejeweled. Sure. But that's not the, as a gender professor, as someone who was curious about how women are positioned in society before I became a gender professor, I wondered, how do all these women have agency in a world like New York City, where I am tonight? Women are invisible at at a certain age and dismissed. Go to CVS, stand in line behind them, see how they're treated. And, And it wasn't happening in Palm Beach. And I thought, wow. This might be elite, and this might be a tough town, even if you have money, but the women really own it. And that really struck me as interesting. So in all three of the novels, I wanted them to be multi-generational. So I wanted older women as characters to have voice, and of course, the, all the women young who are younger as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So that really mattered. I can see, I can see. Let us, of course, talk about the death of Samuel. As you mentioned, right off the bat, he's dead. This is not a spoiler, folks. And this kind of leads to the secrets being exposed. How does it happen? How does his death kind of trigger this exposure?
2: Because all of the women in this family wanted something from Samuel. It would have been fine. Of course, there'd be no novel. But it would be fine if Samuel hadn't been Killed off. But once Samuel is gone, everyone has to scurry to save themselves. It's almost like you know, it's Pandora's box. And once it's open, once Samuel's gone, it's not only who Samuel is and what he did, but how it affects each of them. And what is loyalty? What is betrayal? Sure, he really betrayed them, but But what do these women do now that they all need to survive? Mm. And I think I mentioned survival before. So survival is really intriguing to me. It's really fascinating because women need to survive all the time. I mean, things happen that. When you're a good girl, you never expect will happen. You know, husbands come and go. You think you're safe. You're not safe. I mean, look at the Me Too movement. When that was going on, I was so curious about every single article written and every woman who was, you know, coming forward because they had felt they had to keep it a secret and it had affected them so much. And now it was open and all of the shape shifting began. Culturally, And it's not that there's a Me Too movement here, but that what happened with Samuel makes, creates a, a place where all of the women in the Barrows family have to scurry for power, truth, or a lie that's really effective.
0: Did the Me Too movement influence your writing at all?
2: Definitely affected my syllabus. And in my in my writing classes and my gender, you know, my gender studies slash writing classes, and we talked a lot about it. And we talked about what male supremacy is and why women have long been afraid to have the truth known and to feel judged and and to be dismissed not believed, misunderstood, so all of that. So it definitely does affect my my characters, even if it's off the page or off screen, as we say, because we are, as females and males in this culture, we are a product of nature and nurture. So it's, you know, obviously, when you read this novel, you see that Raleigh, Caroline, and Maribel have very different approaches to what has been unleashed, but they also have been given the same prescription as females in our society. And so it's their natures, and then it's the nurturing, which is all the messaging that comes. And cultural messaging has so much influence on us, well, you know, everyone.
0: Okay. So we know how Samuel's death affects things in the beginning, kind of exposes everything. But does it play a role Mm -hmm. later on in the story?
2: Yeah, Samuel's, Samuel's death and who Samuel really was and why Samuel did what he did, which is pretty egregious, is throughout the book. It's throughout the book. And the idea, also something that's interesting that I wanted to put in this novel, is the message that we're bombarded with that coupling is so important and suddenly Maribel's a young widow and women in Palm Beach say everything to her like find another immediately find another one of those husbands they're basically just arm candy and necessity just go get another man to lucky you free at last and so you know they're whispering they're really whispering in her ear and also her mother so her mother's widowed you know because reed the father died and um she has a husband and he's so just almost on the page and the message there is that you know he fills a chair but lucinda is the one who garners power and So I, you know, I feel this is a very matriarchal family, three daughters and the mother and the men are invisible or like Reed and Samuel, they're dead.
0: Okay. Now, we've certainly been talking a lot about the women in in, uh, Palm Beach. I guess the thing I'm wondering is, are they all really like that? Or is this just one aspect of the female population there?
2: lot of research on, and interviewed a lot of women in Palm Beach and I, you know, I'm often asked, does this novel have to take place in Palm Beach? No. And just for, you know, just off topic a bit, but I, I think it sort of underscores the point I'm making is when I did my study on female rivalry that came out in 2006 called Tripping the Prom Queen, The Truth About Women and Rivalry, I interviewed women in a tennis league in a kind of plush suburb in the Midwest. And I interviewed women also in the Midwest in a bowling league. And I happened to interview them the same day. And they had the exact same problems. And it's Palm Beach, as I said earlier, I chose it because the higher you rise, the harder you fall in a capitalistic, moneyed society, celebrity culture. You know, people who were local who were a big deal become the celebrities in these towns. But in truth, it could happen anywhere that a young husband could die, and the secrets that spill that and come forth could be so destructive. And each sister has to fend for herself. And of course, the great suspense. What happened to that husband? Really? How did he really die?
0: Don't date a lot that's gone on for all right, Curse.
2: Go
1: Max, go! I was gonna say you did it. You stepped on it. I
0: was gonna say, don't date women from Palm Beach. Got it. <laughs> Words to live <laughs> or by, I think.
2: Or read my books and know how to date them.
0: Exactly. <laughs> like navigate the like, world a little bit. Right. All right, Curtis, go go, buddy.
1: No, I I really wanted to ask. There's a lot that's gone in um, to writing the book, right? And so. I kinda would like to understand a little bit more about not necessarily the process, but I guess in writing from start to finish, if you could pick one part of your book that uh you enjoyed writing or you had uh I guess favorite part it was for the create through the, the whole creation process, what part of that book would it be?
2: I love creating the characters. I love knowing them so well. I mean, I can tell you, although it will never get on the page that, at least not in this book, (laughs) that Lucinda still goes to Costco and that she buys, you know, an off brand of ketchup whenever she can and that she colors her own hair and that, you know, Raleigh is someone who, as a little girl, they couldn't even get her out of the river and you know she was like a like a fish you know she just loved water so much and that just like creating all the depths and what it's like to to be a certain age and female and what you've endured what your experiences what experiences you lack i don't want to give away the story but what happens to each of these sisters is a big leap in a different direction. So what did I know at the beginning of this book? I knew the very first scene. I knew that Samuel would die and I knew that Maribel was struggling with who he was before he died. I knew at the very end what would happen. And then I I knew my characters. And then I had to piece together every chapter that would drive the story forward And because, you know, I've been taught how to write fiction and nonfiction, in fiction, you always want each chapter to end as a cliffhanger. So each chapter drives the story forward. And then at the end of that chapter, we say, whoa. And and so, you know, to keep the suspense going. So I loved figuring out the story, but I always knew the start and the finish.
1: If I were to sit down and try to write, right, which I I can't, I honestly I suck at it, you know, you know, but I don't
2: know
1: about that. The characters, right? Go into all the detail and the background, the depth, right? To me, that would be the most challenging part for me if I had to sit down and write a story is to flush out the characters. Was that difficult process? Is that the most difficult part of writing the book? Or what would you say the most difficult part would be? I
2: always have this conversation with my cousin because she's a writer and she we always say oh the plot the plot is the the toughest because you and i knew the plot by knowing the beginning and the end but every chapter i think the hardest part is creating each chapter to push the story forward to keep to keep the plot going and to really develop the plot so you're developing the plot. The characters drive the story because what happens is circumstantial. Again, I don't want to give it away, but the whole mystery about Samuel and his death actually reflect, are reflecting what his character was as well. So, And, and the other thing is, you know, there's a, there are a lot of spoiled people in this story, but they're not only spoiled because... And this goes back to what you were saying about character because we're all nuanced people. But Samuel was becoming spoiled. You know, he works in the family business. It's it's become very successful. So these people have money they never thought they'd have. And he has his boy toys. So he has beautiful things. And you know, he has a beautiful speedboat called a Riva Riva Mare. I had to research that and um, a friend told me a lot about speedboats and how they work on the intracoastal. And water is a big theme in this story because Palm Beach is a barrier island. And so you have the intracoastal on one side with tons of gorgeous boats and you have the Atlantic Ocean on the other side. So it's it's really, you know, it's also a story of beauty. but But beautiful women, beautiful things, beautiful homes, beautiful boats. And then what lurks beneath? That's what really interests
0: me. Chris, I'm I'm going to uh, jump in for a second here because we talked about difficult parts to write, and in talking to other writers, oftentimes that is killing someone off. But obviously Samuel is here to die. That's why he's here. <laughs> but was his death hard to write, given his role in the story?
2: No. It it wasn't hard because I always knew these characters have been with me for so long. And there have been several iterations of this novel. I always understood how Samuel would die and how it would spin everything. So that one came pretty easily. But, you know, Samuel had um, two brothers-in-law. So, you know, Caroline is married to Travis and um, and Raleigh's married to a fellow artist. They're both artists, and his name is Alex. Mm. And they and I I liked writing all of them. I loved writing about the marriages, you know, the good, the bad, and the tricky parts.
0: You know, earlier you mentioned the many, 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 many women that you interviewed for your nonfiction books and for and for your studies. Do they factor all into? your fiction books in a small way or a big way?
2: We do. You know, these characters are products of my imagination in my novels. But certainly the role of mother and daughter and sisters. I wrote a book on sisters years ago called Sisters Devoted or Divided. And so I think a lot about what women have told me. And I think without sounding obnoxious that it does give some gravitas to each character, you know, to really have heard what sisters will and won't do for one another. And when a sister relationship works and when it fails and what that does to the sisters, you know, so I thought about all of that, but these characters are so very real to me. And I mean, When I wrote my first novel, that came out in 2015, called Between the Tides, I walked around for like a year, saying to myself, "What would Lainey do?" Lainey was one of two women. You know, two women tell the story, and one is Jess, and one is Lainey. I'd walk around and say, "What would Lainey say?" Now, that being that being told to you, I have been on panels, and I have met other writers, and. We're often asked, um, do you plan your characters? Do you plan them out? Do you plan their actions? Or do they just have a life of their own? And I believe that there are two kinds of writers. So they're the writers who say, and I'm always in awe of these writers. Like I'm on the panel and I'm like, where they say, oh, my characters, they just take me there and I go with them. Not I, my cat for me. The characters are really, as I said, thought out. I have notebooks on them before I start the novel. And I know what they will do because I'm writing them. Hmm. So that's the other two schools of thought and approach. So, you're, so
0: you're a planner, not a pantser.
2: Right. I come out of the nonfiction world where uh. you sell a book based on an outline and some sample pages. So I outline everything.
0: Ah, I get you.
2: I like the structure. I, I like the um, contain how it's contained. Mm-hmm. I like having, you know, some kind of frame before I build.
0: All right. So you know, we've been talking a lot about secrets in this interview, and of course, Susanna, you have a bit of a secret, and this, is, I know, folks, this is a big shock. You're gonna be th- floored by this. But Susanna Marin is not your real name. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh my God. This is a shocker. You what? have what? Is this that, that true? It, it's totally true, Kurt. She actually has she she has a whole other writing life as Susan Shapiro Barish, where she does nonfiction books, a dozen of them.
2: Right. But you see, I always wanted this name. All right. I was in college and my parents came to visit me. And I said to my mother, when she was alone, we were alone for a few minutes and I thought I'd lobby for the right name. And I said, Hey Ma, you know, like I've, I've got to have a better name I mean I can't be Susan Shapiro and I was only 19 I said so here's what I'll do you know I'll be Susanna Mary Marin's a family name she said to me you can't do that and I said why and she said because I thought long and hard about your name I said you did because I mean she didn't come up with such a great name and um she said you know that's the name I chose and you'll understand understand and one day and can't change your name so because I was a good girl I didn't do it and then years later when I went back to fiction writing because I've always loved both forms my publisher said would you like to have a pen name and I said "I I have the pen name I've had it all these years so I told them what it was and they said great because I think they wanted to distinguish between the two forms so they wanted me to have two names. Mm. And I think that they wanted, although I'm not sure, I suspect they wanted a more melodic name for fiction. I can and I see think that. Susan yeah. Mar- yeah. yeah. And I is clearly a nicer name than, you know, Susan Shapiro Barish. Well, so, I, I
0: think, um, think both, you know, have their, have their good parts. I think fiction writers and their names. Yeah. There certainly is sometimes a, a theme or a form and Susanna Marin fits that, I think, a a little better than Susan Shapiro Barish.
2: I think it's prettier. And I also wish that I had had the confidence and and the conviction to say to my mother, but I want this name. And I had a very good friend. She actually died. But I had a very good friend who changed her name to a gorgeous name. And from the day we became friends... I said to her, how'd you do it? She said, I just hated my name. I thought it was really ordinary and I changed it. And I was really impressed. And, you know, it circles back to my life's work. Women have to have more voice. Women have to have more courage. And I know it sounds absurd to think that changing your name is such a courageous act, but it was one that I didn't embark on because my mother, and I was young, very young, still in college, but she didn't think it was necessary and I listened. And I think with my life's work being about how women want, how we really know what we want, but often don't act on it. I think it's kind of curious that it took me so long. So I love this Susanna Marin, I'm really happy.
0: On the topic of women having more courage, do you feel like this book contributes to that in some way?
2: Oh, I think this is a book totally about courage. It's about facing your fears, each of these characters, and understanding, understanding consequences. I don't want to say which of the characters. I think it's about winners and losers. And I think that the idea, and this is one of the themes that really, really speaks to me, The idea that if you put one foot in front of the other and do the right thing as females, you'll get the right result, as if there's some kind of control, is just making us ill prepared. And when Samuel dies, no one's prepared. It's a shocker. But there's not, you know, there's no plan B because there are these assumptions. Samuel's young. Maribel's his young wife whatever troubles they have they'll overcome them and it's not like that so you know all of my novels have surprise endings and surprise endings are really important to me because that's what life is like we do, we think that we can manage and yet it's beyond us and so that's why we're surprised. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, well, folks, we're coming down to the end of the conversation. Uh, We got a few more questions. Uh, Curtis, why don't you uh, help us wrap this this uh, thing up?
1: Who me? You. You got. Yeah, your turn, buddy. Your turn. Oh, I'm sorry. I've I've been so focused on the whole thing that I totally forgot that I was even here. But I'm here. Yeah. Okay. I'm good. I'm kidding. So I I want to make one comment um, about women feeling, you know, needing, you know to be stronger, empowered, uh, more independent, that sort of thing. With regards to, uh, we're talking about names. Um, And that kind of hit home for me personally, because I just wanted to bring that that up uh, real quick earlier. Um, My sister, who is adopted into my family, my parents thought long and hard about giving her the adopted name and changing it because she came on when she was just uh, after birth. Later on, when she became uh, of legal age to go ahead and change it, she went and decided because she had it had a name for many years in her head that she wanted to go by to go ahead and change it. And, you know, we gave her all the power to go ahead and do that. So it just kind of hit home for me. I just wanted to uh, make mention. Curtis,
2: how old was she when she did it?
1: She was if uh, I'm going to say she was either 19 or 20.
2: That's so interesting. I love that story. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good
1: for her. So, but yeah, I what I wanted to follow that up with, knowing what you know now throughout your entire writing career, um, thinking back on everything, if you were to write or uh do a a vlog or uh do some sort of a diary or something like a letter, right? Uh to your younger self, uh to provide, you know, some sort of advice, tips, tricks, do's, don'ts, that sort of thing, um, to help make your process easier with the writing how would what would you say what what would be the overall arching theme
2: don't let anything get in the way nothing should get in the way of a career for a writer a writing career and don't be intimidated by rejection and don't doubt yourself because anyone who has this yearning to write it's like, I think it's true of other arts, art forms too. Singing, acting, dancing, painting, all of the arts. It isn't like you sit down and you say, oh, I think I'll just try this. It's more really innate. It's so inherent within you. And I think to push it aside is a disservice. So I've always had a day job. I've always taught and I've I loved that. And that was all really rewarding and it's good to have that balance but to always make time to write and and to write what you want and to find a way to get it out into the world because there are a lot of rules in this industry you know in publishing and there are so many ways to get your work out and now more than ever it's less traditional now so i really think it's important and i look back on my younger self and I say, I did, I've done what I've done and I'm pleased and proud of myself. And it took great perseverance, but I also should have thought outside of the box more. And so when writers say, oh, I have to get a book contract with a big house or I have to get my novel out before my my nonfiction or vice versa, just write and see what happens. Right, Max is agreeing. I think it's really important. I just encourage anyone who's a writer to write. It's the, what it was, I know they say Helen Keller said it. Other people say Robert Frost said it. Maybe it's urgent, urban, rather urban legend. But someone said the only way out is through. And it's certainly applicable to writing. And anyone who's young in writing or any age in writing should know that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, folks. Well, we are bringing this thing to a close, but of course we're going to end with the most important question. Susanna, what's next for you?
2: Ah, uh, so I'm working on a new novel and I'm working on a new non-fiction book.
0: Ah, okay. Can you give us any hints as to what both are, are going to be about?
2: Female-driven. That's the hint. Ah,
0: come on, man. You're leaving us hanging, but I love it. Perfect way to end this thing out. All right. <laughs> all right well folks the book maribel shadow is now available definitely get your copy and you go to you go to susan shapiro barish.com link will be in the description you'll find everything there and as we always say support the artist leave reviews follow their socials leave comments all that stuff it's all very important of course in bringing up the writer and sharing their work with the world and susanna definitely looking forward to, to the next conversation And thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. It was really great to talk to both of you.
0: Hey, this is singer-songwriter Danny Horovitz, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks to everyone for listening. And be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram at Citywide Max. You can reach me at citywidemax at yahoo.com to suggest a guest or submit music for the Blackout Collection playlist. You can find this show wherever you check out your favorite podcasts, and new episodes are aired every Saturday at 10 p.m. EST on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.